Episode 16, Design Company Podcast. Today's topic, and we've got ourselves a little bit organized now, how VCs waste money. Brother Mo, how are you doing? Very well. Uh, good to be with you again today. Uh, I always love our conversations, but today especially is going to be very entertaining. So uh, looking forward to whatever comes out of this synchronistically. All right. So the purpose of this episode, to start off with the purpose, is really to highlight some of the anti-patterns that we've seen over the years and, and even decades, really, in my mm. case, of how money gets wasted and invested towards things that are really completely wrong and mm -hmm. don't hit the overall purpose or direction where humanity is heading. Mm -hmm. um, so basically, let's talk about who VCs are as people first. What, what's, your, what's your kind of archetypal VC in your mind? Well, I think one thing that people, especially in the tech space, uh, fall into the trap of is that they see VCs as some kind of mystical human being the power of the gods to give them a full bank account and healthy life and maybe love. Uh, but VCs in themselves actually have their own investors. Um, so, so at the end of the day, what we've got to understand is that VC is just a person that has a certain amount of capital that they have to allocate, they have to make deals within a certain time, and they have to deliver a return. And they're not doing huge amounts of deals, maybe doing one, two, three deals per year. So um, for me, VC currently, maybe not as they should be, but as they currently are, is people allocating funds into companies looking for an exponential return and on the basis of the understanding that 90% of those investments will go to zero. So the waste piece is baked into the entire VC mm -hmm. process as a kind of part of the win scenario. So the, the entire... The entire system, and I talk about the system, the entire system is based on 80 to 90% of this will be wasted and 10% mm. will succeed. It strikes me immediately as a ass about face approach where I would be looking for 80% success and 20% failure. What do you think? Mm -hmm. Well, I mean, it's uh, very simple, really. If, if you, I mean, for you especially who invest kind of at the very early stage, what you'll see and have a laugh at is that a lot of startups now have fallen into an anti-pattern where they try and defer making money as much as possible. It's less true in 2020, but especially it has been in the past years because while you're not making money, you can be ha you, you can be given some sort of imaginary valuation. Once you are post-revenue, once you're actually making money, well, the reality comes in. And so what we've built today is a system that kind of favors anti-patterns, um, you know, basically play, playing hot potato and trying to find somebody who's going to give a bigger check size than you gave. And so that, that's what we... Yeah, and, and the, the systems of anti-patterns seem to be everywhere. And more importantly, they are funded through another anti-pattern system that boosts up and proliferates the anti-pattern uh, downstream flow of things. Um, so, so in terms of innovation, what VCs seem to be fueling is this innovation, which is around whenever I've done design work, majority of the time, the way corporations try to innovate is by sticking a bunch of things to, you know, chucking a bunch of things to the wall and seeing what mm. sticks. Uh, it's a sort of trial and error 
not in a way that you go around and research things, but trial and error as in like build it and they'll come, uh, which at American Express Innovation Labs got turned into build it and they won't come. <laughs> uh, so they learned through lots of this kind of chucking things at the wall and seeing what sticks that nothing sticks, right? So mm -hmm. it's like we, maybe we should stop chucking things at the wall. Uh, but VCs seem to be kind of embracing this as the way forward, as an actual smart innovation tactic, which it isn't. So what is a smart innovation tactic, my brother? <laughs> I think it's looking at sustainability within the company. So yes, you know, VC, you know, I understand that we are here in a model where it's highly risky assets. You know, you've got people with unproven businesses that need to grow them. But very often what you'll find, I mean, unless you're selling a complex software where you need like very high quality engineers to build a very secure product for very big enterprise deals, that's five, 600K, where there's like very specific concerns, um, which is a tiny part, you can actually do a lot more with a lot less, right? At the end of the day, it's about finding a market, finding a real need, serving that need, getting paid for serving that need, and then reinvesting in the growth. And so what we're seeing here instead, unfortunately, is a system where you have a lot of money invested, which allows you to live in fairyland for a very long amount of time. And then when the money's starting to run out, well, you go and pursue a new round of money, which is an anti-pattern because you're getting more money for not having made money. And then you're just going to last even longer and hire more people. So beyond the waste of money, think about the waste of human life. How many like intelligent people today are working in companies that will have actually no impact on humanity whatsoever. Totally. And I've, I've heard of those stories uh, left, right, and center. And it, it's, it's kind of super bizarre that as this whole system was bubbling up so much, we've then had a pandemic that at all wasn't needed to, to burst the bubble. But when the bubble burst, it burst like in a super explosive manner uh, compared to just sort of like long drawn out, you know, uh, it just went kaboom big time. And um, I think now everyone's having to learn how to do business in a real way, in an actual from the ground up, from the purpose up uh, way. Well, I mean, so especially if are talking about the product side, at the end of the day, that's what it's all about. So if you look even now, like the bar to raising capital, uh, unless you're like, you know, you're coming out of Google, like really big name person, or you had a lot of successes. Okay, maybe you might even potentially raise ideas on a slide, potentially. But if you look at now, even investors, they started smartening up. They started realizing that they need to go for valuations that are a bit less crazy, but companies that are actually proven that are in their market. And if you look at today, technology, what it's allowing you, it's really reducing the barrier to entry to getting into a market. You don't need to buy servers. You can rent them on Amazon and actually even get totally free service when you're using very small amounts. You don't need to manage a database. You can outsource that to a service online that will do that for you. If you don't know how to code, there's no code tools. So today, I think if you know the VCs, at least the ones are smartening up, the understanding that they have to be investing the things that are actually working and not just like fake metrics like, oh, we got a bunch of users, you know, but no, we actually have a bunch of paying customers who stay with us for these reasons and for whom we're solving X, Y, and Z problem. And so I think we're really coming out of this kind of, uh, um, how do you call it? This bubble era of the 2010s. And it's funny saying 2010s, it makes me feel so old. 
Um, and people are starting to wise up and understand that, okay, you know, maybe we don't want to go for as crazy returns, but we do want to have more sustainable portfolios. And maybe instead of having like one person that returns the fund, maybe we can have three or four that are doing extremely well. And so one thing that I've noticed for a, for a while, and I tried to introduce this into agile processes, but it's always been met with absolutely dead ears or, or, or deaf mm -hmm. ears. Um, which is that, you know, when you have stories that people go like, okay, well, we're going to have this epic, let's say an epic is something like we are going to create a project management feature inside mm -hmm. our product. Okay. And everyone's like, yeah, we need project management, blah, 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 blah. And then I start thinking, okay, so how much money and time and cost and running cost is this feature? Because when you mention oh, you can pop it on Amazon server or Google or whatever as your, you actually start realizing that stuff costs money, right? So more features you actually develop, the more money you're going to be burning on the servers. Mm. However little it is, it all mounts up. Um, and you actually have to start planning out agile stories with money metrics pre-built into the innovation and systemic thinking from the ground up to say, hold on a second, every single line of code, and it's not that it costs us money to pay developers to build this, but it also costs money to run that. And if we just kind of expose that to the end customer and say, here you go, we've got this beautiful feature, blah, blah, blah. First of all, they might not use it at all because hmm. people don't want that in the first place. But secondly, it costs money to run and more you build, more it costs and more, more work it is to actually undo all of that stuff. So I've been advocating this idea of baking money into agile stories, both in terms of how much it's going to cost and how much it might make, okay, mm -hmm. and what the differential of cash flow is. But people just kind of stare at me like blankly and think, like, what are you doing? What are you thinking about? But with that approach, I've actually managed to try triage ideas that I thought at the beginning were super good and innovative and great ideas. But when I've run it through the money filter, I've actually gone, I'm not actually going to advocate for that because sooner or later, somebody down the stream is going to realize, oh, this costs loads of money to build and it's never actually going to return an investment. So I've actually started very early on, started highlighting and saying, guys, out of the 10 ideas that you have, eight of them would never actually see cash flow generating therefore we should focus on these two and really design them to absolute perfection because those are the ones that are sustainable now if a vc was to think this way as opposed to which is going to take off all all of these assets like the we work thing that was estimated at 47 billion and god knows what uh, metric okay uh that that now is estimated at 2 billion which is like down. which metric I understand if a metric calculates up a business to be worth 47 billion and then they go hold on a second we were wrong it's 45 billion there's still yeah. two whole billion away but you know it's like let's say a 47 42 Same order of magnitude yeah it's like what was it like what's two billion these days nothing right like <laughs> fed prints that in, in a second right but it's 47 to 2. <laughs> That's quite a difference, right? <laughs> That's quite a difference. <laughs> How does that happen? 
I think it's just about value at the end of the day, right? Like at the end of the day, if you look what really happened with WeWork, what was it? It was a company saying, hey guys, we're a tech company riding the Cooletude and Brandwave. But actually it was just a glorified real estate company with an app. That's it. So you were paying like multiples, even though the biggest competitor, Regus, I think actually had more business than they did. So, so, so the thing about WeWork is that they, so this moves us nicely onto the product, that the, the product, I, I spent quite a bit of time actually looking at the data center businesses and what becomes the case with these companies is that data center as a physical building with servers and machines mm -hmm. and all that kind of stuff, maybe 20 years ago, that was like a cutting edge thing. And owning that, you could charge arm and a leg. But nowadays, everyone and their mother has their own data center. So it's no kind of big deal. But so the data center as a building with a bunch of services become a bit of a kind of utility, okay? Mm -hmm. Which means that the price, prices of that have dropped a lot. But you get some clever bucks and they buy one of the racks in the data center. And they, on that rack, they build an app such as Twilio, okay? And Twilio charges per message, et cetera, et cetera. And whatever they're paying per message, like 1P, they charge 2P per message. They've got 100% markup. All their kind of uh, cloud costs are calculated in as the utility, as a fixed price utility underneath. Mm -hmm. And suddenly you realize that that one rack there in a data center that's a physical space makes perhaps... 10 times more than the entire data center makes. Why? Because it's a next order of magnitude value-add service that's mm -hmm. running in there. So Twilio is super happy for, uh, what's it called? Uh, uh, one of the big data centers here in Europe, um, Telehouse Europe, to run their racks, for example, and for them to pay it because they're making 100 times more than what they're paying. Mm -hmm. Okay, And so... WeWork, their product could have been technology that managed to squeeze more and more out of the square foot of office space. But that mm -hmm. technology would have needed to be the next level, the next order of magnitude kind of tech, super cool tech and design. Mm -hmm. Instead, what the technology ended up being was free coffee throughout the house and all sorts of freebies that cost money but we're never really going to return themselves because they were just kind of upping the prices per desk and so on. And, you know, mm -hmm. the, the, the businesses that they were hosting weren't really exponentially making more money. So it was never going to be sustainable. Uh, so they, they missed, they, they pitched their product as being a technology company, but never actually built technology. That was a big problem. Well, I think one other thing as well, if you look at it, there was a really big hype effect. So their CEO, certainly Adam, he was, he, uh, you know, he had apparently a very high level uh, capability of convincing people and bringing them in, right? But this is classic case of what we've seen a lot of times in management of people operating a distortion field, creating a certain reality, which is good because you need that to lead people and to drive them forward. But where that falls into the dark side is when you start like, hiding how things are really going um and so in that respect actually uh self-promotional moment for what we're doing but design company software for vc right so instead of like doing due diligence where you're going in and meeting people who have all been super coached 
why not ask people to share on a daily basis over a period of three, four, five months what their actual concerns are about the company and then transparently look at that. And I think that's also one big cultural shift that needs to happen on the VC side is that very often we're making an investment, we're, we're trying to say, okay, everything needs to be perfect, right? And actually we need to shift our mindset and say, okay, do the fundamentals make sense? Is this a healthy business? Is the leadership good people who genuinely want to do a good job? And then what are the problems, you know? And it's fine to have problems, but it's not fine to pretend they don't exist. Exactly. And so design as a process is always dealing with problems, but it's mm -hmm. dealing with problems. It's not brushing them under the carpet. So it's always finding solutions. And in fact, the more problems it identifies, the happier designer is because it's like there's more stuff to design solutions for. Mm -hmm. And uh, with design company software, VCs who are clever and who are not just wasting money and chucking things at the wall, seeing what sticks and nothing sticks. And then they're like, like, uh, you know, massa son, you know, just kind of, then, then they raise more money to waste more. And it's like that, that can go on infinitely. There's like a black hole that just sucks up funds. Um, you know, and, uh, so with design company software, you would actually have real world tangible insight into what's really going on and which problems are being resolved and how that evolution of problem solving is actually happening because the idea here is that more problems you solve more solutions you create the more you're actually creating value and creating something useful now it could be the case that a company has set out on a purpose of creating the best so a planning tool on the on the planet but through design company software they ended up creating something like best office management software it mm -hmm. really doesn't matter because as long as they end up with a sustainable product and a service that's all that matters a pivot is a perfectly fine thing in any startup in fact you should pivot as many times as you possibly need until you get that software built that that's actually sustainable and just not naming any names, we're actually doing this with one of the services that we're designing last two months, as you mentioned earlier on, when I mentioned you, it's like, these guys were non-existent at all. There was nothing there. Two months yeah. later, they're in the full swing of getting government grants, raising funds, hire the team, the whole shebang. Why? Because the whole thing is being designed from the first principles and zero waste. There is nothing is being chucked at the wall. Everything's being done absolutely uh, from the ground up the right way. And you get this miracle, okay, which is that from zero to a fully fledged company in two, three months with minimal expenditure. Yeah, and something that actually delivers value that helps people. <laughs> Precisely, something that's totally on point and relevant. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think that works pretty well then. So I think we covered products and money. Um, in terms of VC, I think, what else is there to say? I think we, we pretty much covered it. Growth. What ends up happening is when you're plowing in tons and tons of money up front to create this kind of super boosted growth, sooner or later, the ducks are having come to home and roost uh, because it's like, well, the more money you actually plow into a company, the more money you're going to have to make to return back that investment. Hmm. 
And so even though fundraising is hard for companies, what is even harder is paying off the funds that you've raised. Well, I and think, so, yeah, sorry, you were saying. Yeah, and so, so you're getting like, when companies start celebrating, yeah, we raised our round, la la la, it's like, now you're actually really good to start scratching your head, unless you have really realistic, proper, real world, baked in reality plan, and analysis for why you raise this money. You're really in a deeper trouble now, than you were when you didn't raise. And I think we're talking about growth. Let's also talk about personal growth, right? Because at the end of the day, becoming personally rich as an individual that has succeeded in business is not just seeing your bank account growing, it's also you as an individual growing, you know? So, you know, I always joke with people, I'm like, well, I was, I was very early in the blockchain space, but through my arrogance, I missed out on 10 to 20 mil. But in a way, actually, it's a blessing because if I had just like 20 mil like that, I would not have been going to the personal growth journey to be the person that can make 20 mil, you know? And so when we look at companies, when you're giving people so much free money that basically they have not deserved and people say, oh, there's no such thing as deserving capitalism. I think there is because there's a thing called the market and the market rewards you for delivering value. So the problem is once you start getting these large amounts, five, 10 million, um, in cash, well, you don't really have the same value, awareness, concept, respect for money, you know, and I don't venerate for money. For me, it's just like a number that's useful. It's a resource. That's it, right? But you don't have that level of respect. And so I, I don't mind actually calling them out because it really did shock me when I saw that. There was this company called Take It Easy, uh, founded in Belgium a couple of years ago. They were competing in the same space as Deliveroo, Uber Eats, uh, Fudora, these kind of people. And the company went bankrupt. Okay, fine. You know, that happens. I respect that. But you know what really shocked me is that when they went bankrupt, it was from one day to the next. There was no notification. The, all the riders, the last four weeks they worked for the company, were not paid. The, the, the yeah. shops, some of them lost up to 5, 10, mm -hmm. 15,000 euros in meals that had been delivered and made by them. And so mm -hmm. these people who basically acted completely fraudulently towards these individuals. And I'm so angry when I see this kind of behavior. Basically, they had like 10 million in funding. And so for them, money was not an issue, you know? They're not thinking about the, the restaurateur who has like razor-thin margins and needs to get through. And yeah. the worst thing is, what I see at the end, and the, 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 the reporter was like, okay, so would you do it all again? And they were like, yeah, no regrets. We do everything exactly the same way. Yeah. Yeah, even though it's completely wrong. <laughs> yeah, like I have no issue with companies failing. Like that stuff happens, right? Yeah. But when, you, when you're on the road to that, you have to also respect the people around you and not fall into this kind of narcissistic, well, we got the five, 10 million, we'll make it last. And if things happen, it's a startup life. No, start, failure is acceptable in startup life, but you, your responsibility is to minimize the impact of the failure on people that do not have a big ass equity stake. Exactly. And so like whenever, I mean, I've seen so many startups kind of just skip all this stuff here and just go straight to money. It's like, we're raising this much money for this much right? growth, for this much growth. And it's like, dude, dude, hold on a second. What's the purpose? Who are the people? What's the system of innovation and products? And I'll, well, we'll think of that later. It's like, no, no, no. <laughs> like, <laughs> and <laughs> those times are over. 
they were kind of always over because if you raised money for something that later on, I mean, I've had these situations. I worked with people like this and they've raised a million uh, dollars for something that was kind of just a, a brain fart of a product. You know, it kind of like an idea that was, that was, that seemed good. You know, it's like appealing. It's like, looks good, mm -hmm. but there's no substance to it. And then when they raised money, they came to me and said like, oh, we want you to be a product director to this thing. And I said like, hold on guys, like your product, actually, if I even prod a little bit with a pun intended, <laughs> prod at your product, it just goes very quickly. And it goes in a way that isn't really inflatable back up because it's like, we're actually going to have to think of a completely different product. Like you seriously going to have to pivot here you raised money for a music service and you may end up having to be an accounting company. Like, are you open to that? And the answer is they're not open because they raised money for music service because they want to be rock stars. Yeah. <laughs> I think, I, I think the best way to kind of, you know, summarize all this is this at the end of the day, the money only comes later. Right. So mm -hmm. if you look at where things are going right now, people are much more informed. There's a lot more you can do today to actually prove an idea, <clears throat> prove a product, and go to market and then raise funding, right? So really these amounts we're seeing today, like if, if you are a VC, first of all, say hello. We'll set up a design company software, standard market rate, no discounts, but you can afford it because you're a VC. Uh, get that real due deal from people that you're going to invest in. So actually, instead of like having a 12-page PowerPoint, that affects your decision to invest 5 million, why not have 1,000 individual bite-sized pieces of feedback from the people that are seeing the operational realities day to day? And ongoing, as opposed to a snapshot, have an ongoing piece of feedback that you can look at and see how it yeah. changes over time. Yeah, because it's, it's easy to doctor a survey. It's harder to be behind 50 people's back for six months in a row to actually get them to answer something that's in the company line. Unless you're in China, but we haven't yet built the Communist Party version. We'll take care of that soon enough. Uh, just joking. And if you're an entrepreneur, obviously, um, maybe don't raise money straight away. Like maybe like do the most you can to go as far as you can, um, you know, and then look at money. But a big ass check will not replace something actually valuable. Uh, and I'm saying this from experience, right? Right now, what we're doing is on company software. My only mission is to be speaking with clients, getting them on board, that's it. If you gave me $5 million right now, I literally don't need it because I have all the resources I need, which is people basically, and the technology to build a successful company. And that's what it's all about. Exactly. And so somebody recently said this thing, like if you go into a boardroom and you are the smartest person there, you failed. Mm. <laughs> uh, so with design company software, if you're working with smart people in your company and you've hired them, then you would want to hear their opinion all the time yeah. as much as possible across all these seven areas. Why? Because you could put that opinion into practice and make money and grow. Yeah. I don't wish to sound like one of those uh, fanboys, uh, but there's a very good Steve Jobs quote, which I love, which is we don't hire smart people to tell them what to do. 
we hire smart people so they can tell us what to do. Exactly. And so with smart, with design company software, you get the smart people to tell you all the time what you could be doing and what's not working so that you can fix what's not working and put into practice what you could be doing. The ideas flow all the time because people have them all the time. They're easy to ignore. If you don't want to do something, you don't have to do anything about it. But it's also easy to not ever surface them unless you have software like this that continuously runs and basically works like a automated set of employees that constantly pull your company uh everyone in there and more importantly creates a very very coherent transparent insights driven culture that actually builds things that are not a waste of money that's the key <laughs> I have I have nothing more to add. That's literally it. It's facing the reality, see what's good, see what's not so good, use your collective intelligence and move forward. And honestly, like this whole old school VC model of like let's invest money and then let's find bigger idiots to invest more money. You and I and you know the people listening to this know it's not sustainable. So guys, take care of your peace, take care of your investors and just you know, don't put your money in dumb places and don't find more money to make up for your past mistakes. Just take Exactly. So VCs, if you're looking to invest into companies that are actually doing something of real value, reach out. And company owners, if you're looking to actually also make proper money without the need for VCs or raise on your own terms, reach out. <laughs> oh, I love, yeah. Raising on your own terms. That is the key. <laughs> Build a company that's valuable enough that you can turn down $2 million. Fantastic. Thank you so much, my brother, and peace. Looking forward.